hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. No. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with that. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> oh, right. Hello, and welcome to episode 368 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host. Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult brain cancer survivor, coming to you from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny King, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40 sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. We're going to be focusing on teen cancer on this episode. We're going to be welcoming Hodgins, the former survivor, Denny Alata, who found a great group called Joy Juice, a nonprofit organization that empowers teens and young adults affected by cancer by providing them with fashion makeovers. Going to be a really good spot and uh, advocate segment here on 3000 Wave Surfer, James Bengala. What a great story this guy has. And off we go. Full house here in the, uh, in the studio. Hello, Kenny. Hello, Matt. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Yes? Navigating Cyber Monday. Oh, that's right. Cyber Monday. All day. You having fun? Uh, yeah. How are the sales doing? Uh, sales are doing very well. Uh, people like our $1.75 t-shirt that we were doing the other day. I saw that $1.75 t-shirt. I mean, you can't really... it's a fire sale. <laughs> that's, that's more than a fire sale. It's a nuclear holocaust sale. Yep. Anyway, hello, Janine, our intern, fabulously here in the hello. studio. How are you? Good. How you doing? Great. And Lady Rivera. <laughs> Hello. How was your Thanksgiving? It was Thanksgiving. Was it full of carbs and coma? I, actually, it was not bad. I uh, did rather well having some not being able to eat things did, did bode, boded quite well for myself. Ah, uh, I see. The privileges and of being gluten-free. Understood. And uh, Sean Shapiro from the couch in our fabulous new... Uh, that. That mic should work. Hello. There you go. Is it working? I can't use it. It is working. My headphones, but yeah. yes. Hello. No, we can hear you. Wonderful. From the couch. How was your Thanksgiving? It was great. 
Yeah. Had a, a very warm and sunny Friday. Saw a water rescue, Coast Guard, with a guy coming from an, a helicopter saving a capsized boat, which was pretty intense. So basically something you don't see every day. Yeah. So it was interesting. Very nice. Yeah. And I can't even ask you about Thanksgiving, but I don't really care about you. So you it, could... it was uh, it was fine. It happened. <laughs> fair enough. I said thank you to someone. Okay, very nice. Well, we had a very eventful week last week before Thanksgiving hit, and I think we seeded this on the last show. But we, meaning stupid cancer, rang the opening Nasdaq bell on Wednesday, November twenty fifth, and uh, I believe we were all there. And it was absolutely mind-blowing. No? Yes? Maybe? Opinion? It was unprecedented. <laughs> it truly was unprecedented. Yeah, I got to say, uh, we, we invited, uh, I think, close to 50 people from our local community to join us on stage. And the photos are on our Push On Social. We were on television, and 200 million people got to see the opening bell. And it was it was really special. So special thanks to NASDAQ for inviting us as one of their charities for the day to get that incredible recognition. Truly. Mallory, what did you think? It was uh, pretty awesome. Well, you made it. That's first I, and foremost. I, I had a mad dash to make it in time, but um, I'm glad I did. It was well worth the experience. No, a really, really big deal. Nothing like taking over Times Square. <laughs> yeah, seriously. We were on the Jumbotron and all the monitors across the whole... Yes, We had was, two full corners. Yeah. They belonged to us. It, it was great. It was really phenomenal. So, yeah, it was uh, really, really impressive. Uh, what else we got on the docket for the chit-chat? We got, uh, oh, Giving Tuesday is tomorrow. Sean, you want to just give us a little uh, what the hell is Giving Tuesday thing? So there's Black Friday, and then there's Cyber Monday, and then there's Giving Tuesday. And so it's a great opportunity for the world to, to unite and give back to their favorite charities, and Stupid Cancer is one of them. So it's just a great way of saying thanks and supporting the cause. It's a big deal. And uh, CancerCon 2016 is dropping registration launch on Thursday. Is that correct? It is. Thursday, it's coming. So it's one of those, like, get your ass to Denver kind of things with my really bad uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. What was that movie? Total Recall voice. I'm ashamed right now. Or Jingle All the Way. <laughs> or Jingle All the Way. Yeah, p- pick your Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it's really horrible. Okay. Really horrible. It is Christmas movie season. That is true. Definitely Christmas. Meanwhile, that was the whole thing. Like It's, it's like Thanksgiving, and then there's nothing on TV except uh, on the radio except Christmas songs now. Thank goodness. It is truly the most wonderful time of the year. And with that said, uh, we have a really special drop-in guest. Um, I met her at the Critical Mass Conference in Chicago earlier last month. Catherine, Dr. Catherine Benedict, and she's going to say, I'm not really a doctor, I'm a PhD, but I get it. We love, we love when people have to quantify how much of a doctor they are. <laughs> but she's an assistant professor of clinical psychology at North Shore LIJ, right here in our own backyard. Welcome, Catherine. Yes, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yes. Uh, so I recall meeting you when you were talking to me all about uh, this interest in teens and peer support and connecting them and the isolation factors. Is that how you got into this crazy science racket? Yeah, well, um, my background is in psycho-oncology, and so broadly looking at how to help young people diagnosed with cancer cope with all the changes they go through, and particularly um, as they transition into survivorship and move beyond the cancer experience and um, kind of live their fullest lives. And my work primarily focuses at this point on... um, uh, difficulties surrounding fertility and reproductive health issues, 
And some of the work that we've done, um, what really came out with the data and, and kind of interviewing young survivors was that that was the piece that was really missing, that peer support um, that they felt, you know, not across the board, but in large part, providers are increasingly starting to address fertility issues. Um, they have their parents for support, but really what they wanted was 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 someone who had been through the same experience. Right. They need to know you're not alone, but yeah. not just alone. Here's someone who actually went through. Yeah. More or less exactly what you went through and nice to know. Yeah. And so But it's more than nice to know because you quantify. Well yeah, exactly. And so so um you know, what are the benefits of having somebody there to talk to who has been through the same experience and can actually empathize and and and, and um you yourself get to provide support, which um a lot of times makes people feel good. And so we do, um, we try to do research studies to quantify the benefits of that and um, where does this improve their survivorship experience or, or coping or well being, um, all kinds of positive outcomes. Um, we want to make sure that we're not doing any harm if we make connections. Right. You know, sometimes you don't get along with somebody or, yeah. you know, whatever kind of negative effects we want to make sure that those aren't happening. And then how do we, um, kind of institutionalize this or make it, um, a standard part of, of care and treatment plans. Right. So have you had any findings? I mean, you came to critical mass. You're now aware that there's this universe of science brewing around this stuff. What drew you to the conference? Yeah, so uh, we came, that was my first time at the conference. I was very happy to be there. I was so happy that I got to meet you. Um, and the findings that I was presenting had to do with, um, again, the reproductive health issues. And we partnered with Stupid Cancer and other um, organizations across the country and asked young adult female survivors to answer questions on um, their knowledge of infertility risks and uh, risks for premature ovarian failure after treatment ends, um, and how what their reproductive concerns are, and how that affects decision making yes. about um, future uh, childbearing and um, considering potential fertility preservation at that point. Right. Because um, there's so many markers in that journey as to are you made aware of it? If you are, what exactly. Do you, and then if it's too late, then what do you do? And how do you influence those decisions based on your circumstances? Exactly. And how do we support them? And so, um, so yeah, so the first step is being aware. And that's probably, you know, one of the most important steps, of course. Um, but then once you are aware, what do you do with all of that information and how do you make decisions? And what we found was that a lot of, um, again, we only surveyed females um, in this particular study. And what we found was that a lot were looking for more decision support to think through all the different factors. You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, we can't predict. Uh, we can't absolutely say a timeline of when a reproductive window, you know, given the gonadotoxic effects of treatments, right. how long that window will be, whether fertility preservation techniques will work now or in the future. It's a lot of... It's very deep rabbit hole. Money involved. Yeah. yeah. And so how do we support them thinking through all of those factors. Right. And I'll mention that Danny Alada, our, our primary uh, interview here is in studio. Hello, Danny. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Our segment's going to come up in a little bit, but this must resonate for you. Well, it was funny. We were talking uh, earlier before we got on the show, and, and I, I didn't realize people didn't know about fertility issues. It was the first thing my doctor talked about. Mm -hmm. So that's a good thing. Right. So we're yeah. going to start with a positive note when yeah, he get, when yeah, do his segment. One yeah. of the lucky ones. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, a, it's a real hot button issue. Um, clearly, this is the, I think, the, 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 
the single most common thread across non-old people cancer yeah. is the right to be pooped on by your child one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, with that said, let's uh, let's get to our first guest. In our spotlight on this show, we're welcoming James Bengala, founder and director of the nonprofit foundation 3000 Waves Surf to Fight Cancer. 3000 Waves was founded to fight cancer through love of surfing, providing a surf-centric fundraising platform to benefit the nonprofit organization Stupid Cancer. Hey, that's us. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show the one and only James Bengala. James. Hello, everybody. I got to tell you, you probably, and we have Sean Shapiro here, who I've known you've spoken to numerous times. You, your campaign took us completely by storm, and we were so excited. Like, what is this guy doing, and how amazing is this? It's, it was really something very unique and special, and we want to make sure it gets the attention it deserves. So I'm really honored that you would uh, come on the show and talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for thanks for having me. and. I think I got a lot of responses like that. A lot of people were kind of scratching their heads. I got a lot of weird looks um, along those 30 days. I'm like, what are you doing? You're, do- you're going to do what? Right. So, um, yeah, well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's go back to the origins of this. What, uh, what got you into surfing to begin with? You're talking, by the way, Stupid Cancer founded by two non-athletic East Coast guys who don't <laughs> go near the water. Yeah, Um you know, I got into surfing when I was much younger. I was 14. My parents just split up, and, and they had just gotten divorced. And and uh, an older friend of mine kind of took me under his wing and, and uh, got me in the water, got me surfing. And uh, really, it helped kind of keep me out of trouble and and uh, kept me on a, on a on a good path overall. So you went to North Carolina, UNCW, which is great, great school. Yep. What was your major? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a business major with a concentration in finance. But you were still surfing. I was surfing as much as I was going to school. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. And you lived in Vail, and so there's no surfing in Vail. There's only snowboarding, I would imagine. Well, actually, believe it or not, um, there is river surfing. And uh, after a few years living in Vail, I got into that. And that's basically where, you know, all the runoff from the snow season, all that snow melt, pumps up the river volume, and all the kayakers love it and the raptors love it. Well, there's certain areas where you can actually surf these standing waves. So I did get into that while I was there, and, and that kind of quenched my thirst for the for the real thing, the ocean itself. So You know, I'm going to go to YouTube right after the show and Google what the hell is that. you got to do it. It's, it's amazing. There's all these standing waves in, in Africa and in Germany and all over the, uh, the Colorado Rockies. It's really pretty neat to watch. So where did cancer come into your life that you were inspired to give back to that cause? Um, I have had a few family members, um, immediate family members, and uh, some aunts and uncles. And, um, a really good first, close first cousin of mine have all been affected by cancer in numerous, numerous different ways. And, um, and then recently I've had a couple friends of mine, close friends, that have been battling cancer. Both are survivors, and they're both doing really well. And, um, you know, it just, for me, it's gotten to be such a big thing in our society. It's almost like you can't escape it. It affects everybody, every family or or or, or a group of friends or, or business. It, it just affects too many people. And I just, I wanted to do something about it. I felt like I needed to, to play a bigger part in our society than, 
to what I was doing, and um, I wanted to just kind of bridge my my passion for surfing and and um, you know my my passion for helping others. So it was it was born. Three thousand waves was born. So to the luddite you're talking to right now. Is it, is that a lot of waves to surf? Three thousand. How many do you do like in a day, for example? It's a it's absolutely ridiculous amount of waves to surf on a normal day. A normal a normal surfer, guy or girl, who's you know somewhat seasoned, he'll go out and get somewhere between I'd say fifteen and thirty to forty waves in a in a surf session. And a surf session could be an hour and a half to two and a half three hours. So the program was set up to do 100 a day for 30 days straight. And and how are you doing on that? It's it's a done deal. We we wrapped up all 3,000 in October. So what happened? Um, I, I started up in San Francisco, started my work working my way down the coast, and the goal to do 100 a day, you know, that is doable um, with the right swell, the right conditions, the right winds, the right tides. I mean, you name it, you can do it. If you're a seasoned surfer, you can do it. Um, doing it 30 days in a row is, is really the challenge, um, for all those same reasons. So halfway through the project, Matt, I, um, I realized that by myself alone on the project, I was not going to be able to do 3000 in one month. It wasn't going to happen. So that's when I enlisted the, the help of, uh, a lot of the surf community from around the world um, to help, and, and we launched an international surf to fight cancer day, and and um, that was a huge help for contributing to the overall 3,000 wave count. So um, we got our 3,000 waves for the month, and we've raised so far um, just shy of $10,000. And that is incredibly awesome. I guess, is there a precedent for this? Have there ever been any, like, surfing for the cure type of events or are you really inventing something brand new which is amazing um you know there's been there's been some some surfing fundraisers uh for different um nonprofits and, and organizations and different um needs but this was you know i guess the only other thing that i've heard close to it was um you know there's been some surfers trying to set a world record for the most waves caught or the longest surf session, or the most waves caught in one surf session. And, but those really aren't going towards a, a, a cause or a foundation or organization. It was just more along the lines of getting those people's names in the Guinness Book of World Records. This was kind of a 30-day challenge, meets marathon, meets fundraising, meets do something that you love to do and bridge it all together. And um, so it's kind of the, the first of, of, I guess, what I created. And it's amazing. I feel like we should just retake October from the pink nonsense and call it Surftober. Let's do it. All right, Let's done. Do You're hearing it live, folks, on the air right now. Surftober. Surftober. I like that, Matt. That's, that's creative. We can launch that. I think we can get a lot of support behind that. I think Kenny just registered the domain and hashtagged all the trademarks. So You've already got a website up for it. <laughs> he's, he's on Squarespace right now building it as we speak. <laughs> So, oh, did, how long did it take you to put this together? It, it, I mean, for what you've accomplished in you know raising us ten thousand in a month to do this, it, were were there weeks of planning, or would you walk up one day with some Starbucks in your hand and say, "I'm going to do this"? Um, I would say it took about two full months to plan. It was kind of in, in the back of my mind throughout the early summer, you know, June into July, August. I really started getting serious about it, and. Um, and throughout August, I got 
the green light from a few different really important people, so I couldn't move forward with it. One was my wife, Christina, um, which is if I didn't have her permission, I might as well just shut the door on the whole thing. Um, and then the others where I got, you know, sponsors from or sponsorships from GoPro and Patagonia, both of uh, which are huge players in the surf industry. And they said, yes, we'll back you. Yes, we'll support you. We'll help promote. We'll, we'll help you with your social media. So once all three of those, once I had green lights from them, it was on. So that was right about the 1st of September. So I really had four weeks to, to build the website, to put all the social media together, to reach out to you guys and really create the relationship with, with Stupid Cancer. And Sean was, was fantastic to work with on that. And, um, yeah, and before you know it, I had an RV rented. It was in my front yard. It was packed up, and I was driving up to San Francisco the next morning. It all happened really quickly, really quickly. Well, I got to tell you, like I, I, like I led the opening of the interview, it really took us by storm, and it was like, what is this doing? It's amazing again. <laughs> I mean, it's really something very unique, which is why I asked you, like, I don't, I've been doing this for about 15 years, and I've never seen anything coming from the surfing community specifically that rallies people in a sort of a crowd way to just share their talents and show off all the inadequate athletes in New York, how it's done. Right. Right. Well, you know what? The surfing industry, um, they have, have reached, they've gone through their adolescence period. They have, they've now matured. I mean, the surf industry back in the eighties and even the early mid nineties, it was, it was an industry, you know, there was some, some general public knowledge about what, you know, surfing and the surf industry was about, but it wasn't a force. Now, you, you say the name Quicksilver or Rip Curl or Patagonia or GoPro, Hurley, any of those names, most people can identify that with a surf brand. And so now that they're making money and they've evolved to, to being a mature industry, I feel like it's now time where the surfing industry can then help give back on a, in a big way, just like the NFL does, the major league, the NBA. Um, I feel like it's, it's time for surfing to step up and I'm really going to try to embrace them and hopefully get on board with me to, to kind of make this a better thing for next year. Well, like I said, here on the air, you're hearing from straight from me and Sean sitting next to me nodding. Yes, we are committed to working with you on whatever this is going to look like for next year. And we will help you get in line. These partners that should be ponying up their value because this is a really big deal and something that, you know, the surfing community is young and it's hip and it's relevant and you are emblematic of everything that matters. We talk about how you don't have to be a cancer survivor to care about cancer in younger people. And you are, you are the exact reason that we say those things. So we're, we're just in awe of your choosing to do this for us. What uh, I, I see here, you know, it's like a million waves first. Like, I, I don't want you to get hurt. I, I want you to, you know, you know, I don't, don't, no injuries here on the job here. A million waves <clears throat> for cancer, that's a really big deal. But, you know, you are clearly a very aspirational person. How often do you get out there and surf just on a regular basis? Uh, usually, um, I'd say four or five I usually get four to five surf sessions in a week. Um, you know, when life gets busy and crazy, you know, I could go a week or two without surfing. But usually by that time, I get really cranky and my wife kicks me out the front door with my wetsuit in my hand and tells me to go surf, which is a blessing. Um, but usually, yeah, I'd say three, four or five times a week. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so is this your day job now, or do you work in other areas as well? You know, I wish it was my day job. I wish um, I, I could do this and really grow this organization where I could surf and reach more people and raise more money for, for you guys. And, um, it's not quite there yet. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to get it from, from point A where it is now to, to point B where it's a, it's a living, breathing, much larger thing where it can do a lot more good. No, and I'm really impressed with what you've accomplished in such a short time. What made you choose Stupid Cancer? How did you find out about us in the first place? Google. Ha, ah, there you Google. go. Thank you, Google. <laughs> Thank you, Google. Yeah, I, um, you know, I researched probably, I'd say, a half dozen um, cancer foundations and nonprofits and from like, really big ones to really small local to, to Southern California and kind of everyone in between and and after doing my homework and looking around, I mean, I really identified with, with you guys, with your branding, with your um, passion for, for helping others, and, and Matt, your story, and, and um, how you took this from, from its origin and, and your whole background on this to, to where it is. And I just thought, man, these are, these are the guys and girls I need to be working with. So um, I reached out to Sean, and Sean was Mr. Johnny on the spot. He probably called me back within you know, I'd say 12 hours or maybe a day tops and was ready to, ready to get the thing signed up and get going. And, um, yeah, and that was pretty much that. All right. So where can people learn more about the campaign and, um, how can people support what you're doing now? So the, the quickest, easiest way is to go to the website. Website is www.3000, the number 3000, waves w a v e s dot surf so instead of a dot com it's dot surf three thousand ways dot surf um the whole story the project the outlines all the partners um you know a, a bunch of information on you guys everything is on the website you can donate from just about any page on the website and then of course the website links to all the social media outlets as well so that's really where i'm just sending as many people as i can right now it's just the easiest that's super cool. And are you on uh, social? Are you tweeting? Can people join you on the uh, I, the internet? Yeah, I, I am trying to tweet. It's um, it's kind of new for me, but um, I don't have a three thousand ways handle on that. It's it's actually my personal, and that's uh, JB. My initials JB underscore S W E L L JB underscore Swell. This is my Twitter account. Facebook obviously is three thousand waves, and my Instagram is three thousand underscore waves. Well, again, James, you're a rock star, and we're so excited to have you supporting us in the young adult cancer movement. And we are on the air here, like live in front of people. We're committing to make you uh, make this exceptionally amazing going forward. So, thank you again, uh, James Bengala, founder and director of the Three Thousand Waves Surf to Fight Cancer nonprofit organization. James. Godspeed, we'll be in touch. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sean. You guys have a great evening. All right, take care. All right, bye-bye. All right, Kenny. And now, the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Stupid Cancer Meetup, 
visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. All right, Matt, we've got one happening in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. I'll be there. Will you be there? Wauwatosa. I think we should go. That's my favorite city. I heard they have a new thing there. A new thing? Yeah. Are you just talking? Yes. Okay. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers right now. Instapeer.org. We launch a newsfeed aggregator. Ag- Sorry, started again with that one. We launch a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24/7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive. Check out cancermadebroke.com. That's cancermadebroke.com, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You did not ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Visit cancermademebroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. Support, pro- support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that is your Stupid, stupid Cancer, Cancer News. News. All right, our uh, main spotlight here, Danny Alotta, young adult Hodgkins, the former survivor, founder of Joy Juice. We're going to find out what that is. Live here in studio, I'm looking him in the face right now. Welcome, please, Danny Alotta. Hey, Hello, everybody. sir. It's great to be here. I'm so excited. You came guns a-blazing into the organization, and poof, look, you're on the show. <laughs> How's it going tonight? It's going great. It's going great. You look great. Thanks. Appreciate it. For a survivor. Well, actually, I call myself a fortunate instead. Ah, so fortunate. It's just my theory. I, I met plenty of people along the way that didn't make it. Okay. And obviously, everyone fights, right? Right. So for me, a survivor means that I did something they didn't do. And as we all know with cancer, that's not the case. Right. So I just prefer, out of respect for the people that I know that didn't make it, to call myself fortunate. No, and that's exciting because lots of people choose. We had a whole show about the semantics of how individuals choose to, to associate with what they've been through. People hate patient. People hate survivor. People mm-hmm. hate fighter. They don't like the military use of the words. If you lose your war on cancer, did you not fight okay and die? Like, yeah, so it's a healthy conversation. Yeah, I mean, everyone has their own words, and, and everyone deserves to say whatever they feel comfortable with. Right, right. So exactly. Um, I don't say it in, in reference to someone else, say, oh, you're not a survivor. If that's how you feel, that's beautiful. Right, I hear misfortunate, and and uh, Mallory's going to nod here. I just hear poor unfortunate souls from Little Mermaid. I mean, yeah. What a great, what a great song that was. Alan Menken. Or, or I just look at Kenny, and just the word misfortunate just pops into my oh, mind no, every time Kenny. I look at him. This poor guy, he's been putting up with me for too long. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so non Hodgkins. Uh, Hodgkins. Oh, Hodgkins. Okay. Hodgkins. Is that the good one or the bad one? Technically, that's the good one. Uh, okay, if you're gonna, yeah. If you're going to draw out of the hat, that's yeah. the one you want to pick. So how old were you? So I was 17. I was a senior in high school, and I basically got the craziest flu I'd ever gotten. Mm. And then, um, yeah, I couldn't walk to the bathroom. I couldn't stand up to pee. I mean, nothing. Like, I had to sit down to do everything. And I assume you were like a completely healthy, normal American boy. I was an athlete. I mm-hmm. played several sports. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I just... Again, I couldn't even walk to the bathroom. So uh, eventually went to the doctor upon a physical examination. uh, The doctor realized my spleen was pretty huge. 
Uh, it turned out to be about two and a half to three oh, footballs. Oh, spleens are overrated. Uh, they, you don't need them. <laughs> um, but mine was about two and a half or three footballs in size. Wow. So he called to get a sonogram, and the next day I had a sonogram, and uh, one test led to the next, and then we figured it all out. So how many weeks went by before you were like taken seriously and, and went through this official diagnosis? Uh, I mean, it was a week and a half or two weeks before I actually went to the doctor because everyone kind of gets a flu every year. Yeah, you just chalk it up, whatever. You're like, okay, yeah. I have a really bad flu. And the doctor, when we called, he said, look, there's a horrible flu going around. You probably have it. Yeah, yeah. Try and wait it out. It's usually a week or 10 days and nothing changed. Right. So you came back and like, doc, I still got issues. Yeah. No, I didn't even see him the first time. No? We just called. It was like, okay. Look, should we come in? He's like, look, I think you should just wait. This is what's going around. Right, right. Uh, and when it wasn't getting any better, it was like, look, I think we should come in and and I went in. Were you on your parents' insurance? I was. Okay. You know, so I was in high school. And, right, right. Um, you know, I was on their insurance, and you kind of learn the whole process. If you're not going to school, they don't keep you, and then you have to stay in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's, exactly. a, it's a tricky realm. It's another rabbit hole. It, which, it definitely uh, is. So fertility is one rabbit hole, and this is a rabbit hole. So you're diagnosed with Hodg- uh, now Hodgkin's. 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 I'm going <laughs> to never get this right. Hodgkin's, the good one, quote the good one. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then what happens? At 17 years old, life stops. It totally changes, but, you know, like, I couldn't go to school anymore. Right. You know, I wound up getting home tutoring, and um, I will say the Board of Ed might get a lot of criticism, but for that, I mean, they were great. I had the best home teacher ever. Oh, wow. Okay. But uh, Yeah, you're from the area. Born and raised. Yeah. uh, And uh, I would say as a 17-year-old, you really didn't realize what was happening. Mm -hmm. You know, you feel you're invincible, and I was just kind of like, I have this cold. Just give me some medicine so I can get better and go out and play, right? And then... uh, you know, your parents definitely realize what's happening. Mm-hmm. They know right away. Yeah. You know, like that big C word is the word they don't want to hear, yep. right? So uh, you're just still kind of going through the process like, okay, when do I get my medicine and when can I get better? When can I go play? And uh, your parents know the severity of everything. And even I remember when the doctor was explaining exactly what was wrong and what was happening, I was kind of looking around his office to figure out who he was. Mm-hmm. You know, like, let me look at the pictures on his desk. Let me look at the diplomas on the wall. Right. And then eventually it was kind of like, I was watching this conversation about me, and then he turned to me. He was like, Danny, do you know what's going on? Like, yeah. Do you have any questions? I was like, no. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wait, what do we do now? You know, and, yeah. um, but that's in, in, in some way, ignorance is bliss, and, and being yeah. naive is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, um, I was, you know, my story was 21. Right. So, like, I was like, oh, whatever, brain cancer, survi- surgery, just let's get this over with. Right. Yeah. You know, you just kind of feel like, okay, do what you got to do. And then, like, and then you kind of realize as the steps go on, like, oh, Okay, this is kind of serious, you know, and, and you, you kind of grow up pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Friends at the time? Siblings? Had friends, siblings. Uh, everyone was super supportive. Uh, I remember having, like, this big party before I started my treatment because mm-hmm. they said, look, he's probably not going to be able to do a tremendous amount once we get started. And everyone just came over. We had food. We had a good time. And, uh, you know, gradually my friends saw me less and less. We um, have uh, Catherine Benedict here. We mentioned at the top of the show. Reproductive health. Were you in, Did you... Were you made aware to like bank your sperm or that this could potentially cause sterility? So I was. As soon as, soon as we had uh, a diagnosis, I mean, some of the first words out of my doctor's mouth were, were that you have to go to a sperm bank and donate sperm. Uh, and that was a really interesting experience, you know. Like, Did your mom take you? Because my, my mom took me. me. <laughs> all right. No, my mom. All right. I win this one. My mom took me. At least wow. your dad took you. Yeah. No, Not awkward. Not awkward. I'll wait out here, Matt. Thank you, mom. Yeah, yeah exactly. Super, super, super <clears throat> weird. Uh, probably one of the funniest experiences I've ever had. Uh, yeah, you just get in this bland beige room with yeah. these magazines and this chair, and you're looking around like, what am I doing here? Right. right. And then 
at some point it has to be showtime. You know? Well, yeah, and, and so uh, we talk about this too from from like a, a male perspective because Catherine, we can talk about the female perspective yeah, yeah. is very different. But the male perspective is we're very emotionally driven by performance and not physically driven by performance. And if you're just stressed that I might be dying, it's going to be hard to produce what you need to produce to actually have a specimen hmm. worthy of, of freezing and saving at the time. Were you able to accomplish the task? I did, but the, the I guess the funniest part of it was, I mean, I had uh, already had a girlfriend and been active. Right. So I actually had never masturbated before. Oh. I had always had a girlfriend for the whole time. So she did what it, the task <laughs> was, right? So... I literally, I got in the room. I was like, what the hell do I do? Right. And when I came out two and a half hours later, my dad was like, what the <laughs> fuck were you doing? <laughs> I was like, I told you I never did that before. <clears throat> right, right. And it, I mean, it was hilarious because, you know, I got so mad and frustrated and that's what made the task actually happen because I, I took it out on my friend, right? So, and then all of a sudden when, when the task was being accomplished, I had to find this cup that was a screw top. And I was like, are you kidding? I got to unscrew this thing too. And like when everything starts going where it's supposed to go, I'm trying to catch it with the cup. And it's oh. shooting everywhere. <laughs> this and is it, our best show. <laughs> Officially. Three, nine years and 368 broadcast. This is our best show ever. I mean, it, it was the funniest experience. I mean, literally it's hitting the wall and the carpet and the ceiling. And I'm trying to catch it with this damn cup. And obviously it's not going into the cup. Right. And when I got to the receptionist and handed her the cup, she took a look at it and was like, um... You're going to need to make another appointment right, because right. there's nothing in the yeah, yeah. I was like, man, I got to come back. This Over. is like the sperm stories, like Fifty Shades of Sperm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the janitor was outside like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to clean that up. I mean. That's some serious shit. Wow. Yeah. All right. So next chapter. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so the day I walked out the door for my first treatment, I said to my parents, it's time for my joy juice. And that was just my way of making things a game. I had played sports, and I was always trying to play something, right? So right. I was just like, I'm going to try and make this as fun as possible. Well, you, um, you were already made aware that you're getting chemotherapy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All, it was all outlined. I, right. knew, I knew exactly which kind, even though I couldn't pronounce half of it. And, mm -hmm. um, Did you have the, what is it, ABVD or something? Mop ABV without the D. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, ABV. So you still have the Adriamycin, the, the red devil? I did. Call yeah. And I remember one time where... It uh, it slipped out of the needle slipped out of my vein and the skin was filling up. It was like Popeye's forearm. Oh, that's a fantastic red, yeah. experience. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I did have that. Um, Gesundheit. <clears throat> yes. Thank you. You're I'm uh, recovering from having children. Oh. Okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> You'll find out one day when they go to kindergarten uh, and come back as infectious diseases for six months straight. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> In any case. So your girlfriend, did she stick with you? Still together? I mean, these are relationship issues that we, we talk about. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. She stuck with me, but when I had serious operations, she never came to visit. Mm. And my parents were like, um, where is she? Right. And I remember I was like, yeah, wait, where is she? Right. And I was like, wait, why didn't you come to visit? And she's like, I couldn't see you like that. And I was like, yeah, but it wasn't about you. Mm -hmm. And uh, and shortly after that, we broke up, you know. And and, and honestly, that's, that's an honest scenario yeah i mean relationships are hard at any age but at this age it's very different yeah i mean it so. was interesting she stuck through for a good part of a year but then when like serious things came around and i was in the hospital for a period of time and i had up then she didn't come to visit did you relapse or what were what no, were the complications I, I, when i finished treatment uh and i had my final cat scan 
uh, it showed that the cancer had actually gotten worse instead of better. And mm. it, it was increasingly getting better and better and better. Right. So I had to have a, a laparotomy, which is essentially cutting open your midsection. And sure. my, my cancer was from my pelvic area to my neck. Right. So I had to take samples from everywhere to figure it out. Uh, Did they like move your organs out of the way? To my understanding. Yeah. But I wasn't watching so I don't know. <laughs> um, no selfies during the there were no, no periscopes selfies. although I did ask if I could watch a tape and they told me I couldn't watch it so yeah I I asked them I remember asking them is, is this gonna be recorded and yes it was I want the videos like, no no they won't you, let you yeah. I mean I watched I remember I had a, a biopsy in the doctor's office that right. I did watch and mm -hmm. I asked if I could help and <laughs> they were like what and I was like no I want to help and yeah. they were like they let me take some gauze and wipe blood away. They're like, that's all you're allowed to do. <laughs> but, but I will say, if you're ever in the position to watch an operation, don't. Because you, you, <laughs> you, you feel everything you watched when that pain medicine wears off. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, like, damn, I shouldn't have watched that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, my scar was in the back of my head, so I can never see it. Uh -huh. So I just put it, put it out, of my, out of my misery. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So, all right, so fast forward. Yep. Uh, you did graduate on time with the homeschooling? Or? I did, yep. You I graduated on time, and then uh, since you're still undergoing different parts of your treatment or going to doctors, you have to enroll in college in order to be kept on your parents' insurance. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we enrolled in the local, one of the schools in New York, part of the CCNY program. Okay. Like I went to Queens College because I lived in Queens, mm -hmm. and they, they basically signed up through the Office of Disabilities and, uh, you know, they know that you're probably not going to make it to a lot of the classes, but they, I mean, they were great. You know, they send your work home and sure. if you need to take tests in private rooms, you, I mean, everything you need, they do provide for you, but without staying in school, insurance will drop you. At least I don't know if that's changed. I hope so. But yeah, we would need to have an insurance expert chime in on that. Yeah. So you were in pediatrics at 17 or yeah. were you in like halfway house? More of an adult. Cause I, I mean, I got all my treatment in the doctor's office. Right. Okay. You know, so uh, I mean, as I've learned now, I mean, there are teen organizations, but back then it was kind of like you got your treatment, you went home, you stayed by yourself, and mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of socialization. Yeah, so what year was this? So this is senior high school. It's 1991. Right, okay. Yeah. So, well, you look so much better than I did. When well, I say, chem <laughs> I say chemo preserved me. That's yeah, what yeah, I always yeah. say. Yeah, I'm ninth, class of 92. Okay. You look like 10 years younger than me. <laughs> now, God, do you smoke or anything? Yeah, or no, 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 no. Oh. God, no. But man... Yeah, good for you. Yeah, so in the early 90s, yeah. everything was terrible. They didn't even consider you a, a person. You were just a, a number or a statistic. But, I mean, with my doctor, I would say it was the opposite. You know, I mean, my doctor was probably the most amazing guy I'd ever met. And, right. Um, you were definitely like a family member for him. Mm -hmm. So where when you did go to other doctors, I remember waiting in his in like reception rooms for hours, and I was like, my mom couldn't believe that, you know, because yeah. with my doctor... You, you didn't wait. like It, it was know, just you, there. You were family, and you walked into the office, and you walked into his room. You know? Hopefully that's becoming more of a majority story than a minority story. Than I hope so. Yeah. yeah. So going back to Catherine and her research, this, this, this concept of survivorship yeah. and your right to quality of life afterwards didn't really exist when we were treated. What does that mean today to you to hear that what we're struggling to do research on didn't even exist, but where we're at is so much better? I know. Well, and so thank goodness it is so much better, but still so much farther we want to go. And, you know, we're fortunate here, particularly in the New York area or at least metropolitan areas and um, hopefully survivorship programs that are specific to the experience of young you know, teens or young adults, adolescents um, who are going through this experience. Um, but, you know, we still need to make this a standard of care and make sure that all the issues are being addressed. And 
um, insurance is a, often a barrier and, 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 you know, having access to all of the um, care programs that would be important. Right. So, all right, so you're 41 now? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, I can't believe we're yeah, the same age. so I graduated age. in 92. <laughs> God, you look so much younger than me. <laughs> I feel so terrible now. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. So when did you first maybe meet another teen with cancer? I mean, were you completely, outside of friends and family, were you made aware of anyone else going through Hodgkin's as a teenager at the time? Through my doctor. No, actually through uh, Queens College. They connected me with another really? person. Yeah. Wow. And um, we used to keep Pioneering stuff back then. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy because at my doctor's office, there was no other young person. You know, they, mm-hmm. they said, oh, we used to have someone. He was 20 something. Now he's finished. And yeah, yeah. I never met him. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe I met him once. Right. But through Queens College, they introduced me to a young lady and we would keep in touch and kind of make calls on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. And it was like I would call her, she would call me. Um, and then one day she never called back. And uh, I, I didn't want to call because she had had, she was, I think, preparing for her second bone marrow transplant. Okay, so. And I just, I didn't have the gumption to call her house in case. Right, I, something bad happened. Yeah. yeah. No, we're in that position pretty much all the time as well. Yeah. All right, so survivor success story. You got through the 90s. You got through the 2000s somehow. We all managed to get to the 2000s somehow. <laughs> um, where are you now in your life? So in, in a couple of interesting <clears throat> places. Uh, a couple of years ago is kind of when I decided to, quote unquote, tell my story. And people had always said, oh, you should tell your story. And mm-hmm. um, I'm a partner in a clothing line that's based here in New York City and a couple of restaurants with my dad. And uh, I kind of had that light bulb moment a couple of years ago. I was like, you know what? I'm going to write a book and a, and a one-person show and a screenplay <laughs> and start a foundation. And, right. Uh, I didn't know what any of that meant because I hadn't done any of it yet. Right. But I essentially removed myself from all of those things, and they all took a back seat, and I put Joy Juice on, on the front burner. Was this uh, the first time you'd, you'd thought of those two words in as many years as since you came up with it, or has it always been in the back of your head? No, I, I think it's always on the forefront. I think once you have cancer, uh, it's it remains a part of you every day. Right. So, uh, yeah, Joy Juice was always there, maybe not spoken as much because now in the last couple of years it's it's become so many living things. Right. Um, but it was always there. And I think, you know, like if I sneeze and I'm around my mom, my mom's like, what's wrong? Do you have a cold? You know, like it's... it's oh, please, every time I have a headache, it's a tumor's back. It's right. 20 years now. I yeah. mean, seriously, it's, and my parents forget. I can't even tell them I have a headache. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's always there, but yeah, Joy Juice has taken on a life of its own now, and it's kind of ironic because, I mean, as you know, cancer is one of the most impactful events you can go through, mm-hmm. and you know, half a lifetime later to have it become the most impactful event of my life again, but in a totally different way and an amazing right. way has been really. So incredible. your fashion background is what led you to leverage that into almost these. They're almost like a makeover quality of life experience. Uh, actually, I gave myself makeovers when I was sick. Really? So that's where the inspiration came from. I would either get all dressed up to get my chemo, and I'd show up in my doctor's office, and he'd be like, where are you going? I was like, <laughs> I came to see you, doc. You know, if you right, look right. good, you feel good. And he would shake his head. It's like, you're totally right. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, when I would have an operation, my cousin Billy, he'd always, he brought me sneakers. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I remember, you know, I couldn't talk. I had to write everything down because I had tubes everywhere. And I just remember those sneakers, they meant everything. Like, you didn't think about everything else that was happening. Right. Um, so I just knew those little experiences during the course of my treatment really helped me. And since I had decided to tell my story, I, I just felt like there had to be a give back component of that process. Sure. So for me, the natural thing was to 
provide makeovers to other teens going through the same thing. So how do you find access to these teens? Typically, the hospitals are like, uh-uh, HIPAA, can't tell you who they are. Yeah, I mean, it. it New York City has been the biggest challenge. Uh, I've actually been told, oh, this would be great for our kids, but you have to pay us. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? I fund this out of my pocket. Like, right, what are you right. talking about? And, and not pay us a small fee either, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, you know, some of the big behemoths in New York City, uh, I mean, that's how they operate. Right. But, um, yeah, I've had great success outside of New York uh, with great organizations, the Ronald McDonald House in Philly, uh, Candlelighters in Vegas, Teen Cancer America in L.A., mm-hmm. um, Ronald McDonald House in Memphis. Right. So I've been able to do amazing programs, OHSU in Portland. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I, I've, I just did our big event in New York with uh, Montefiore in the Bronx. Okay. So, I mean, I've, I've cracked New York finally. Yeah. I mean, the very but, uh, fir- but it's Montefiore. But it's great. I mean, the kids were amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and they were so appreciative. Uh, you know, we, we do our best to secure a product for them. Well, yeah, so talk us through the experience. How does it actually work? So it can, be, it can be super simple. Like the very first event I did in New York was with the Ronald McDonald House of New York. We didn't take any pictures, any video, and we just brought them sneakers, and I talked to them, and, and, and they got to kind of meet someone that had been there, and, and it was good for them and mm-hmm. really great for the parents. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, the parents really... Well, it's the caregivers. Like when my my dad was forty seven, his right. son's given six months to live. Right? Like, what does it mean to the parents right. who are so busy just save my kid that they almost deny themselves the right to live because they're dedicating their time? A hundred percent. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I had the parents just say what it meant to them to meet someone that had been a young person similar age as their son or their daughter. Right. And that gives them a sense of of good feeling or hope, if you will. So let me go back to Catherine caregivers. Yeah. Through yeah. the through the survivorship journey, I hate the word journey, but you know, how do they factor into some of the research you're seeing? Well, you know, um, as you're talking, I think it's also important to have somebody neutral in your life. You know, so often you worry about sharing what you're truly experiencing or what your true emotional experience is because you don't want to burden the person you love with worrying about you, and that goes both ways, both with. Um, the person diagnosed with cancer and then the caregiver and both people's um, their needs need to be addressed and and we need supportive care around those issues um, certainly how did your siblings are plural singular no, sister yeah how did your sister fare through this I mean she was great she had uh, you know she had a tough time she thought everything was going to be great and then when I had to have the laparotomy and they told me everything was worse, that was like the first time she thought I wasn't going to make it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and it was tough because my mom always talked with her about things and my sister not, didn't get a chance to express as much as she wanted to. Right. Um, so that was difficult for her. And uh, I think the most difficult thing for her was I got all the attention for a long period of time. Sure. Lion's share. So, you know, and one of the things that I apologized to her in, in my book, is that you know like it, it was the luck of the cards so to speak mm-hmm. um and there was nothing i could do about it and and, I, and I, I am sorry for the fact that i'm sure you were going through so much but you could never talk about it because mommy and daddy were going through everything and, and putting all the attention into me right well um, we we mentioned cancer con is launching registration this thursday It'd be great to have you there but we do a lot of sessions on caregivers including something called caregiver guilt hmm. and survivor guilt that you feel bad for causing this right. upon your family, but it's not really your fault. And then how do siblings and parents feel bad that they can't take care of themselves or they go through their own burnout? These are really critical issues that sure. are not spoken of very often. 
um, you're out of the woods, right? So yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you look great. Yeah. feel great. Um, and you have your book. Yeah. I assume the book is eponymous joy juice. So everything is joy juice. Um, so the foundation is joy juice and then it's providing fashion makeovers to teens with cancer and, Mm -hmm. and the book or the show or the movie is joy juice, a young man's story about chemo cancer and good fortune. Very nice. Yeah. I mean, one might argue that Joy Juice could be your experience banking sperm. You know. <laughs> <laughs> or not knowing how to make it at first. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's a really imp- inspiring story. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I commend you on all of this, and there's a lot of great work we can do together. And again, our, one of our core research interests is the sort of the, what is the mental health evidence of peer support Hmm. and how can we not just say it's nice to know somebody's there, but what does it really mean to you physically, mentally, cognitively, um, in a, I guess we call a longitudinal, you know, outcomes based model. Hmm. Um, we we would love to work with you on getting more people involved in your cause. And we we do something actually, what's it called now? The survivor glam squad. Yes. Survivor glam squad comes to cancer. Yeah. Survivor glam squad gives like these epic, like, you know, queer eye for the straight guy kind of makeovers. Um, actually that was probably the inaccurate way to explain it. If you're a guy getting it done, yes. But like these seriously celebrity looking makeovers all, and and it's really amazing to see the transformation Mm. that happens for them, but they're not really fashion makeovers. I'm really curious to see what that would mean to our community. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a different process. I mean, if we have lead time where we can get the sizes of, of everything for a young person, right. then uh, with the context that I have in the fashion world, I'll get them sneakers or boots or full clothes, headphones. I mean, you name it. Right. I call everyone and ask for favors. Right. You know? And so uh, if we have the lead time, then they have the chance to be able to sure. secure us product. Uh, and we've had unfortunate instances where they gave us a week's notice. I was like, look, what do you want me to do in a week? Like, yeah. I'll do what I can. Mm-hmm. So that's why, um, you know, it, it gets difficult to put on events because you are asking someone else to do some extra work. You know, it's not technically in their job description, but I feel like if they're in in this world for the care of the patient, then they'll do it. Uh, but we've had times where people are like, oh, it's too much for me to do. It. Yeah. It's okay. So we always ask our guests, what's your, what's your message to others out there going through a, a similar situation? Did you have like a, a mantra or something that you follow or that you, you impart today to others? A hundred percent. So my, mine was, if I look good, I felt good, mm-hmm. you know? So I really did believe there was a power in that. Uh, it, it definitely, even when I took a nap, I'd probably put on a new pair of socks and, and, uh, I still have a sock fetish, I guess you would say, cause <laughs> I love new socks. Right. But, uh, simple things really made a difference for me. Um, and so for me, yeah, it, it was definitely, if I looked good, I felt good. Catherine, you've been witnessing our, our podcast here. The, the entire show is all about survivorship and quality of life yeah. and, and how do we really measure what this means. You know, more and more of us are living now, but the what next is such a perturbing mystery as to, I go back to, um, I think it was 2004, you know, the, the government, the boring government, it launched this public health document called, um, oh, what was it called? Uh <clears throat> the, it was the Institute of Medicine. That's something all these people... Transition to survivorship. Yes, the transition. Yeah. Thank you. Or lost in transition. God, someone did their homework. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was all about like, all these people are living. What do we do? And mm. that was like 13 years ago and we yeah. still don't know what to do. So it's it's exciting that we're living, but it's basically how do we ensure that we get busy living? Yeah. And you're clearly doing that. I feel that way. Yeah. <clears throat> it's... Uh... It's been a journey, and I use that word all the time. I know. Yeah, it's, it's but, like, um, yeah, you don't like survivor journey. Eh, <laughs> <figure> out, yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, as as you know, the road is it's going to have bumps, but 
uh, if you're able to get over them, then uh, you kind of figure out what's next. So Yeah. Well, we've been joined by uh, Danny Alada, young adult Hodgkin's lymphoma, 25 years, 24 years. 91 was when I got diagnosed. Let's do some so maths. 24 Common years. Common Core, let's do some maths. Yeah. Actually, tw- actually, since we're talking about it, it's 24 years. December 2nd was when I was diagnosed. Wow. wow. Look yeah. at you. So I just found out that all the cancers had different colors so i found out my color the other day what's your color it's uh violet like a purple violet okay yeah well good no for idea. you yeah <laughs> let's get on that for sure <laughs> <laughs> your joy juice color is violent then uh just for the hotchkins okay yeah. just for hotchkins fantastic <laughs> yeah. well i can't thank you enough joyjuice.org.com so joyjuiceinc.org okay and social media is joyjuiceorg wonderful yeah all right danny a lot of thank you so much and um Catherine benedict thank you so much thank, thank you, you as well all right uh you guys get the uh, Stand of applause. <laughs> and now it's time for our uh, our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 368th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. like to thank our guests, James Bengala, Dr. Catherine Benedict, and the one and only Danny Alata from Joy Juice. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of my whole team here at The Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here on the next exciting broadcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks. Cancer reflects.